Well, let's start out by asking a question. Anybody feel free to answer. What are you? That, that's a good answer. God's child. Big mess. That's coming. You ever notice you ask most people what they do? It'd be really awkward if you go up to someone and say, what are you? Maybe I'll, maybe I'll change that a little bit. What's your vocation? What's your primary vocation? Everybody here just stays home during the week. No one here. Anybody here have a job? Anybody here have kids? Anybody here have, have things they do during the week? Some, my, my, some of my vocations, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a husband. I'm a father. What about, how many here would, would identify themselves if someone said, what are you, or, or what do you do, what's your vocation, would say, oh, I'm a priest. We got any priests out there? Anybody want to be a priest? I mean, you watch the news, you, you might not want to identify as a priest. We are, aren't we? That's what I want to talk about today. That you and are, you and, you and are, you and I are priests. And in fact, that's our primary vocation in this world, but yet I believe a vocation that we have drastically forgotten about. Now what you're going to see is that I'm not actually going to go directly into the text of Jonah today. We'll be back next week, but what happens when you give a, a guy like me a week off, my mind actually begins to have the ability to think. This only happens one or two weeks a year, and otherwise the, you don't get any of this crazy stuff from me, but I've had a bunch of conversations over the past several months both within and outside of the church. And with, with Christian people, there is a lot of struggling with ineffectiveness in talking with people about Jesus, uh, ineffectiveness in inviting people to church and wondering why they don't come, and just a genuine ineffectiveness in saying, God, well, I don't see you doing much of anything through me, which could lead to a lot of discouragement. It can lead to two extremes, actually. It can lead to not sharing your faith at all, or watering it down or changing the gospel to make it a little bit more receptive. I've also talked with a lot of friends of mine who serve in pastoral ministry. And they have these struggles too. Their struggle is more so, how do you get people to come to your church? And how do you get the people in your church to grow in their faith? Now, I'm not an expert in any of these fields. But I believe God is. And interestingly this week is as I'm thinking about and reading through and studying Jonah and, and how he's sent on this, this mission of proclaiming salvation and he refuses to go and then he goes and next week we'll look at how wonderfully he celebrated what happened and how I fear at times we have the same problem he had there. It struck me that, that I needed a week and perhaps you needed a week to, to refocus ourselves. Thanks for nice this focusing concept that we need to get a little more clarity on who we really are and how a misunderstanding will drastically affect our ability to live it out. If I have made no sense and lost you, that is my goal, and I will continue to do that. Hopefully not. We're going to do this as we get into Exodus 19 and 1 Peter 2. Let me read the text to you, begin to unpack this, and explain to you why it is essential to understand that you are a priest 
and why it's so important, but I won't just leave you with those two. I'll show you how we live it out. So Exodus 19, verses 1 through 6, you have the Israelites have just come out of Egypt through the Exodus. And God is speaking to them. It's a couple months later. And it says, On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Everybody with me? God says to Moses, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. I'm going to go back and unpack that in a minute. But you have God communicating through Moses the primary reason in this life that he called, that he chose, that he drew the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Now understanding that the Bible is not 66 random books thrown together, but actually one grand narrative. It is the story of creation, fall, and redemption. It's a continual flow. And the Old Testament are not just fun little stories to stick in the back of your mind so that when you talk to people about God, you can you know, recall some abstract things they don't. Everything in the Old Testament points forward to the New Testament is fulfilled in Christ, like the Exodus. You understand that, that the Israelites were brought out of Egypt, where they were in bondage, they were captive. There was no way for them to get out of Egypt by themselves. These were not a special people. They were, they were not a mighty people. There was nothing about them that God would say, oh, they're so cute and cuddly, I choose them. Actually, quite the opposite. These were spiritual whores. These were people that could not follow God to save their lives. They ended up in captivity. And what did God say? He said, you know what? I choose them. Why? Don't know. But I do know. He chose them. And he said, I'm going to bring you out of slavery by grace, by my grace, through my mercy, in a way that you could not do on your own. And I will bring you out of slavery for the purpose of living relationally with you, so that you walk in obedience to me and may have abundant life. And I'm going to take you from slavery to a promised land. And I will give you the promised land for you to dwell in a land of milk and honey. And on the way, he brought them through the wilderness. And as you know, the Israelites had some trouble in the wilderness, and that first generation did not get into the promised land, but faithfully, the second did. Well, anyone here ever been stuck in Egypt? Anybody here ever lived in the desert for a while? Anybody here ever been in slavery? You know, we initially like, no, 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 but wait a minute. You understand, when that whole Exodus thing happened... It wasn't just a standalone snooze event. It was pointing forward to a day when there would be a greater exodus, to a day when there would be a greater prophet who would come to rescue God's people. Not because they deserved it, 
but simply because God chose him. You do understand, as we went through the Gospel of John, I hope it became incredibly clear, that as a believer, God chose you. You weren't saying, God, pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me, please, 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 like, find you. No, no. You were saying, leave me be, go away, I hate you, die, die, die. He said, no, 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 no. You come here. I love you. So he chose us out of slavery to sin. And he's not bringing us to a physical promised land in this life, though there is a new heavens and a new earth that are coming on the other side. But we've become part of the kingdom of God. God chose for us to live in a relationship with him. And folks, here's where we lose it. And this is what we're going to focus on today. God chose us so that we might live in an eternal relationship with him, eternal life. That's absolutely true. But there's something else that I think we drastically miss that makes us so ineffective in fulfilling our vocational call. God chose us for this reason, too. Now I'm in 1 Peter 2. And I'm in verse 9. And God, through Peter, says, But you, speaking to believers, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, a.k.a. wilderness walkers, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What we are. You see both those passages. Exodus, dealing with the Israelites. Exodus, 1 Peter, dealing with the greater Exodus that we've gone through, through Christ. God is telling us that we are a royal priesthood. What is a priest? Someone set aside to serve God. We, we are sanctified through Christ. Do you know that word means saint, sanctified? A sanctified person is called a saint. I don't know if you're aware of this, but you don't have to be approved by the Vatican to become a saint. If you believe in Jesus, you're a saint. doesn't mean you're going to have a medallion that says Saint René for sale in stores, and doesn't mean you have special powers to be prayed to. A saint is simply a sanctified person, a person set aside for God. So God chose us to set us aside for his purposes. Priests, in particular, had two functions. You notice you didn't get to apply in Old Testament times to be a priest. I really want to be a priest. I'm going to put in my resume to the... You had to be born of a certain mama and dada, right? God had some very very rigid requirements on who could be a priest. And not just did you have to have the the birth thing going down, you had to have some physical requirements met. There were no, as we've talked about it, real conversations, right? I think it was Patty. You know a midget couldn't serve as a priest. We can talk about that another time. God loves midgets, okay? God loves all people. He does not see them differently, but this, this deals with the purity required to be a priest. And the priest had two roles. They were, to, they were to bring God to the people and to bring the people to God. And God is saying in Exodus to the Israelites, I, ch- I chose you, I brought you out of slavery to Egypt, so you might be my priests to the world. So that you might bring me to the world and bring the world to me. First Peter says the same thing 
fellow priests, and listen to this. You and I, yes, we have to proclaim the truth. We have to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. These are all verbal things, intellectual things that should be in the heart that we must go out and do. But you understand this too. The effectiveness of this is going to be primarily carried out as we walk as a royal priesthood into the world. As we live as a people sanctified, going out to bring God to the people through the proclamation of the gospel, bring the people to God through the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit, who will, John tells us, convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Okay? So yes, we have an audible proclamation that we must, that we must go out and tell people who God is. And God will work through that proclamation in many cases to bring people to himself, but it primarily happens, and I think here's the disconnect that we in the American church have lost, as we understand that we are a holy nation. It's in Exodus 19, it's in 1 Peter 2. We are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. You know what the word holy means? Different. Peter tells us, quoting Leviticus, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. A.K.A. You should be different, because I am different. You are my representative people in the world. I want you to live like I do, so that they can see who I am. Now, you know when Jesus talks about counting the cost of following him? Show of hands, how many people here have faced intense persecution because of their faith in Christ? Let me get mine down, too. How many people have faced any persecution because of their faith in Christ? I don't mean someone stuck their tongue at you in like grade school and said, you love Jesus. Maybe some. Intense. I think part of the reason for that, folks, is because we don't live like the holy nation we're called to live. Now, here's the problem. This is what happened to me this week when I quieted my mind and God started talking to me, I felt like, through his word. He's kicking me in the tail, saying, John, first of all, get your act together. You're good up there. You got the facts in your head. You even got some of them in your heart. But you're missing the walking part before the lost world. And make sure that you're, you're equipping these people in the church who listen to you jabbering each Sunday so they don't get discouraged and they know what's going on. Guys, we're a holy nation. We're going to be different if we're walking in obedience to God. We're going to be weird. There's no way around it. Now, it doesn't mean that you're supposed to go out wearing some, you know... I'm not, I'm not talking about the TV evangelist weird, okay? I'm not talking about, like, big hair for the ladies, makeup for the men, the, the strange suits, and you've got to put the, the extended ending on Jesus. And I'm not saying that, that you've got to offer your neighbors handkerchiefs that they can send back to you with a $50 love offering, and you'll pray for them, and then they can rub them on their bodies and be... Not that weird. I'm talking about different weird like God is different. Jesus was a little weird, wasn't he? People were like, oh, you're so much fun. I want to hang out with you. They're like, you're dangerously weird. We're supposed to be weird. I'll take you to another passage I'm sure you all have memorized here in Leviticus 18. When the Israelites are called, I says to them, Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you lived, and you shall not do, as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall not follow my rules. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. 
I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Here's where I'm getting at. We need to understand that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. This is hard stuff. Because when people look at you, do they see a radically different person than themselves who would represent to them who the one true God is? Or do they see someone who's really not that much different than they are in their hopes and dreams and aspirations? Who knows God and can tell them about God, but they don't notice a difference. For myself, I'm afraid at times it's the latter. I think, I think at times part of the problem we have is, is we go out and, you know, if we take that bold step of telling someone about Jesus and they know us well, they'll look at us and like, they won't say this out loud. How's that going for you? You know? They say, hey, you want to come to church with me on Sunday? They're like, they won't say this out loud. Why? We're not that different. Plus, that frees up two hours of my time. I'll get back to that at the end. Understand for now, as we keep moving, what we are. We are a royal priesthood, a people who are to bring God to the people and the people to God, and we do it as we live as a holy nation, a people sanctified, set apart for God's purposes, to be different because God is different. So how do you do it, darn it, people force it? I want you to be miserable. I want you to deprive yourself of every good and fun thing. I want you to be so miserable the world looks at you and goes, they are different. They are stinking miserable. Let me ask why they're so miserable, because I want to be miserable too. And we tell them, we don't do anything. We cancel the cable, we don't eat candy, and all we do is read our Bible and make our kids sit and read theirs too. And when they complain, we take the rod to them. Because we love Jesus. Okay? Now at least people notice a difference. That's what I want you to do. And if you don't like it, tough. God doesn't care. Do it again. Try harder. One day you'll die and then you'll see how you did. Isn't this awesome? Or there might be a different way. You see, here's the thing. Show of hands off the bat. When I say, you're to be a royal priest to the holy nation, who's like, woohoo, yeah! You're to be different than the world around Yeah! Or who's like, oh, goodness gracious, really? I got to do that? What if I could show you how God reveals to us how it's the most awesome and exciting thing you can do? I'll do that in Exodus 19. That wasn't a random passage I picked out. We go back there. There are three steps to living joyfully and faithfully as a royal priesthood and a holy nation. And the three steps are this, past, future, present. You guys can remember that? Past, future, present. In Exodus 19, verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. God saying, people, look back. Where were you? Uh, God, we were in Egypt. What were you doing there? Uh, we were slaves. How was that going? Not really good. How did you get out? Well, God, you did it. All by myself? All by yourself. Remember those ten plagues? Oh my gosh, yes. You remember the trip through the sea? Yeah, remember the manna? You know how your clothes don't wear out and ain't going to wear out for the whole 40 years? Yeah. Look back. Remember what I did. Guys, we got short-term memory. At best, long-term memory is bad. Because we constantly forget what God has done for us. We're so busy going that we never stop to look back and think about what he's done. We were in slavery. We were separated from God by sin. We were rescued by the work of Christ that we didn't deserve, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
what are we called to give up for God? How does that relate to what God gave up for us? Jesus died on the cross taking the, the punishment that was ours upon himself and rose from the dead so we could have eternal life with God. It's a done deal. You believe in Jesus, you have eternal life, you are forgiven for all your sins, past, present, and future. There is nothing you could do to earn it, and there is nothing you can do to lose it once you have it. And we got to remember that day by day because we have long-term memory issues that go way back in time to the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpas and grandmas who lived in the wilderness. So how do you do it? Force it. Make yourself. No. Here he goes with the Bible stuff. You guys ready? You do have to read this sucker. Okay? Now, I, I hope that from up here I never share with you simply a personal preference of what I do and I think you should do. I don't want to share my opinion with you. I want to share God's truth. Okay? I will be honest with you. Left to myself, I could find other things to do with my time than read the Bible. I could go online and look at ESPN and play this horrendous game called Temple Runner that Peyton Barkas showed me one day that I'm highly addicted to. And those are important things because I've almost gotten 3 million points. <laughs> but I know that God says Temple Runner is not the primary thing you should be doing. It's not going to remind you so much of what I've done for you, but this is. If I say to God, how can a young man keep his way pure? Maybe God would say, by guarding it according to his word. Psalm 119. Okay? I'm not telling you to read the Bible daily because I want you to be miserable. I'm telling you to read the Bible daily because God told me to tell you to read the Bible daily. And I'm trusting that the man knows what he's talking about. Remember that Route 119 thing? Everybody got all of them memorized? Again, this is not a personal preference of mine. Memorizing the Bible, it's easier to memorize Motown music. Isn't it? Why couldn't God just say, play Temple Runner and memorize Motown music? Bad, bad, Leroy Brown. That's up there, tight. But the verses, they fall out. Why did, well, I'm trusting God knows what he's talking about. He's saying that if we store up our word, his word in our heart, we might not sin against him. Here's the deal, folks. To joyfully go through life as a royal priesthood and a holy nation, we must, if we're going to do it well, we must feast on God's word. We must memorize God's word. We must meditate on his word. Well, how many do you have to memorize? You don't know. No. Doesn't matter. There's no how many. It's not a quantity thing. It's a process thing. You don't have to read four chapters. If you read ten, you're not more mature in your faith. You don't have to memorize a verse a week or a verse a day. You don't have to do any of that. You ask God to create a clean heart in you that, that creates a desire to, to hear from Him through His Word because you really will. And it takes time. You don't just do this for two days and be like, it ain't working, God, i got to move on. We have to allow God to remind us day by day of what He has done for us and who we are. And as we store up His Word in our heart, we were talking about this downstairs. You guys know how as adults, maybe even as kids, you can hear your mom yapping in your head before, you know, you're going to do something, and you're like, oh man, my mom would say, right? Wouldn't it be nice if you could do that with God? Well, should I do this? And, well, I know what God would say. Or How do I respond to this? Oh, I know what God would want me to say. It, it, it happens here. I've spent, been around my mom almost 40 years. I don't even need her to speak to know what she's going to say. I don't. 
My sister and I have this conversation on the phone all the time. She'll say, I'm going to call mom and ask her blah, blah, blah. I say, well, why? She's just going to say blah, blah, blah. And she, of course, calls and calls me back. She did. She said blah, blah, blah. And then we reverse roles. Hey, I'm going to ask mom if she wants to. Well, you know she's going to say blah, blah, blah. So we can remove her from the equation. We, well, we could. We shouldn't. Well, with God, the, the, the more intimately we walk with him, the more obediently we walk with him, but I had to be around my mom and spend time with my mom and communicate with my mom and listen to my mom, even though I didn't always want to. And my mom's not, perf- my mom's not perfect. <laughs> but God is. The first step of living this out is remembering past grace and realizing that we have long-term memory issues. It's also God's future grace. Look at 19 verse 5 and it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. There is a we shall become aspect to our faith. We are to be a forward-looking people, not just a backwards-looking people who reflect on the past, but a forward-looking people who know where we're going, who know what we will become and who, know, who knows what God desires to do in us and through us, and what his desire is for all the earth, all the people on the earth. Okay? We can't just go, oh, where we have come from. We ought to go where we're going to, and what our Heavenly Father's desire is to do in the future, and what he promises he will do both in and through us. Because we've got long-term memory issues. And then we've got to go to the present grace. Where were the Israelites here? in the wilderness. Where do you get food in the wilderness? Wawa. Where do you get food in the wilderness? Where do you get water in the wilderness? You get manna. You get get, uh, water from rocks. What happens in the wilderness? We're actually going to take a trip through this in a few weeks. When you all complaining to God, wah, 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 stinks out here. We should have just died in Egypt. At least we had food there. God's going to smack you down. He could, he should, but he doesn't. Because they have present grace. You guys, we have long-term memory issues for the future and the, and the past. We also got persistent sin issues in the present. At least I do. Maybe you're with me here. We continue to sin, don't we? We continue to disobey God. And what does God do? He gives us persistent grace in the present. Now, as you go through life with this focus... Past grace, daily reminded through God's word. Future grace, daily reminded through God's words. Present grace, daily reminded through God's word and looking at our very own lives. You start to think, man, God truly is awesome. It is truly amazing that I have received his grace. That he has set me apart from the world onto himself. Wow! And little by little, this thing happens where the worldly side of us diminishes and the God-honoring side grows. Because let's be honest, the world has some highly attractive stuff in it, right? I mean, there are a lot of things to acquire and to do and to pursue after and, and reputations to build up and, and people to think highly of us. And, and, and there is an attraction to that, but God, that's a God-given attraction that we misdirect. That's all meant to be put on God. And that only happens as we remember past, present, and future grace. Now, here... Here's the must part, and this is what's so important, and this is, this is why this struck me. You invite people to church, and they don't come, I'm good with that. 
because I don't really care if people come to this church. Let me explain what I'm saying. My goal is for God to use me and to use each and every one of you to grow his kingdom. Now some of that kingdom growth is going to result in people coming to this fellowship of believers. But our success is not, is not found by butts and seats. Okay, Our success is walking in daily obedience as a royal priesthood in a holy nation in a lost world that we have been chosen out of to live in for God to shine through. Okay, Now I think what happens, at least for me and perhaps for all of us, is we forget the vocational calling God has put on our lives in the world and we want to live for ourselves too much. We have, I have, hopes and dreams and aspirations. I have ways I want people to think of me. I have things I want to do. I have dreams for my kids. I have a future, future goals that I want to acquire. And sometimes I lose my focus on God in my pursuit of that, and God turns into, hey God, could you do this for me? And I forget it's about, no, no, John. How about you do this for me? You see, sometimes I try to climb back up on the throne. Dear God, if you would please make it snow three feet, because I like the snow. I might turn him into a genie. It's not bad to ask God for things. But how about this? God, I lay my whole life at the altar before you. What would you like to do with it? I'm willing to sacrifice my reputation for your glory. I'm willing to sacrifice my future hopes and dreams for your glory. I'm willing to do whatever you desire because I trust that you are who you say you are. I know that you have done what you say you have done and you will do what you say you will do and that I'm really not giving up anything as I lay it all before you. As we go out into the world like that, it starts to look a little different, a.k.a. holy. You see, people sometimes ask me if I have a holier-than-thou complex. I do, I tell them. Yeah, I'm much holier than you. That's always a good conversation starter. I always clarify the word holy means different. And the difference is that I am a child of God who loves Jesus. And then you can start a conversation a million different ways from there. But darn it, i got to look like a child of God who loves Jesus. It's a tough conversation to have. You wake up on the sidewalk after a drunken stupor. You know, you flip over to the next drunk guy next to you. <laughs> I love Jesus. He's looking at you like, okay. Where's the attractiveness to that? Now, here's the hard part. You live different, there might not be much attractiveness. It might lead to repulsiveness. And we don't want to repulse people, do we? But you know what God says in 2 Corinthians 5? These are the passages that, that kind of scare me a little bit. Now, understand this. God is going to do what God's going to do, and I ain't going to stop his plan. But he also knows what I'm going to do. And then you read a passage, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Here's another vocational passage. You're, you're, you're priests, right? Everybody's like, awesome. I'm a priest. You're an ambassador too. How many of you think of that? Start telling people this. People say, oh, what? You meet a new person. What do you do? Oh, I'm a priest and I'm an ambassador. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Well, let me go back a couple words before the therefore. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through 
us. Here's what's happened. Obedience is not a condition of salvation. Obedience is a result of salvation. So, if you have not been out sharing your faith in word or deed highly effectively since you've come to faith, it doesn't determine whether or not you're a Christian. But as we grow in our faith, a natural byproduct is we live different and we talk about Jesus. But what's happened is we have been conditioned, I have been conditioned by the culture we live in. We've been brainwashed. Even as Christians, we're being unbrainwashed, we've been brainwashed to believe that we should conform, that you should never disagree with anybody, that you should never judge anybody, you should never question why anyone believes what they do, you should leave everybody be. People can believe whatever they want, partially true to all of them. But the problem is we miss the reality of what God has done and what God is going to do. And one of the things He's going to do is come back. Now when Jesus comes back, I think this whole tolerance garbage is going out the window. Very few people are going to be like, oh, you're intolerant. Mm. There won't be a lot of talking at that point. Every knee will bow, the Bible tells us. We are here now as ambassadors before the most powerful army creation has ever known arise on the scene. Headed by the general of all generals, the king of all kings. At which point every knee will bow and a separation will take place. Sheep, goats. And as sheep, he says, go and ba 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 in the world before I come back, because now is a time of present grace. And guys, we get so distracted, I get so distracted with the things of the world, and conforming to the ways of the world that I either keep my mouth shut when I have an opportunity to proclaim the truth, or by my actions I prevent opportunities to proclaim the wonderful truth of who God is. I think one reason that people don't see people coming to church, let me explain that comment. 90% of all new church attenders in our country come from another church. Okay? There's not a lot of kingdom growth going on here. There's a lot of consumeristic relocation. They got better donuts and coffee. Let's go check that out. Their facility looks nicer. Let's go over there. I like their air conditioning. is cold. If 90% of church change is from one church to another, there's not a lot of kingdom growth here. Okay? The reason I think this happens in large part is because the church has lost its focus. We have, we have taken the gospel and we have, we have watered it down. We've made it relevant. We, we, we talk about felt needs. We, we, let's talk to people about sex, let's talk about uh, families, let's talk about finances, and let's bring them in, and we'll play some fancy music, and they'll just keep coming back, and if we make it their kids' happiest hour of the week, the kids will make the parents come back the next week. So what have I done going to the opposite extreme? Bad music, bore you to death, and the coffee's cold. Hopefully I haven't gone that far. But the problem, guys, is that is not necessarily God working. The mole works on the same principle. The job of the church, the role of the church, and here's where it gets uncomfortable, is to equip you and me to go out and to live as a holy nation and to proclaim the truth in a lost world and to see the Holy Spirit work through us. And that's where kingdom growth takes place. Yes, folks, invite people to church, okay? If you invite them to church, I hope every week they would have an opportunity to hear the gospel presented. I think it was probably in there somewhere in the past however many minutes. Okay, Invite them to church. Let them come and see what it looks like for a group of people who love Jesus 
to worship Jesus, to sing. And when we sing, guys, when we got the past grace down and the future grace down and the present grace understood, we start singing a little more excitedly. These people are coming. They might say, if you invite your neighbors, they might say, you're a little weird. And just say, thank you. God wants you to be weird. I mean different. I mean holy too. And he's made a way. But that starts by God's plan with us uncomfortably going out and living holy. That puts the onus on us, doesn't it? It's not about vacuuming them in. It's about going out into the battlefield and proclaiming the good news as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation. And it's hard, guys, because it's saying, gosh, life isn't all about me. It's all about Him. I have to be willing, you have to be willing to give everything to Jesus that He wants to be used as powerfully by Him as He desires. Not to be a Christian... We're saved by grace through faith, not by works. But to be used powerfully by God, we have to be willing to lay it all before Him. And I struggle with that. And maybe you struggle with that too. It's trusting that the future God desires is greater than the future we desire, and we understand that the future He desires is guaranteed. The one we desired, we have no power over. So, get back to Jonah here for one second. Remember how Jonah started? Arise and go. That's what God said to Jonah, isn't it? Well, this week for me, I heard again, and I'll say to you, God told me, God told you, arise and go. Where do you go? Out. What you got to do is walk through the front door of this building. And what do you do? Get up in the morning. Focus. First thing that should cross your mind, you don't even have to open the Bible first thing in the morning. I do it first thing in the morning because whatever I don't do first doesn't usually get done during the day. Some people, it works any time of the day. You can listen to it. You don't have to read it. Okay? This is, this is not meant to be make yourself miserable. It's actually a, a, a gift that God entrusts to us. But remind yourself. Allow God to remind you of the past grace we've received. What we were and what we have become. Allow God to remind you of the future grace. The time of present grace. What he's turning us into in his desire that none should be lost, but all should be saved. And then understand what he's made us. You go out into the world. You live amongst the people. As Paul says, he became all things to all men. He didn't become like all people so they would like him. It means he lived amongst them. He had points of commonality with them. But we got to look different. Not by being weird, but by being obedient to God. It means making difficult choices at times as we hear God speak to us. It means, it means saying difficult things. But it's an understanding of this, folks. People will come into the kingdom of God as we walk in obedience to God. And the question I have for myself is this. Would there be more people that God might so have chosen to draw to himself through me if I walked in greater obedience to him? I don't know. But I know I can walk more obediently. I know my words would have a lot, more, uh, a lot more influence in the lives of people through the Holy Spirit if my walk maybe walked a lot more closely with what came out of my mouth all the time. So this is what I want you to know, guys. God said to Jonah, go. Arise and go. Jonah said, oh no. God hunted him down. Remember in the sea? Into the belly of the fish, bleh, onto the land, goes to Nineveh, proclaims the message, and all of Nineveh turns. Well, what's going to happen to all of Chester County? I don't know. But I do know this. 
I live on a circular cul-de-sac with 32 homes, and I could walk a lot more obediently in both word and deed along that neighborhood, and in part, the reason I don't is because I think I'm weird enough. I mean, you got the pastor with the homeschool kids. I mean, how far you want to push this? But it's not just about being weird, it's about being different. Okay? Some of you all work in office buildings. Great. Walk obediently to God in the office place. Now, what does that look like practically? Why don't you let God tell you about that? And watch what happens. One more thing, I can't let this go. You want to know the most ineffective way to raise a kid to love Jesus? Make them do it. You will sit down and read your Bible. You will love Jesus. You want to know the most effective way? Love them yourself. Walk in obedience to Him. Let your kids see you as a person who's a little bit different from all the other moms or dads that they know. Let them see you as a person who actually is a royal priesthood, a holy nation, who makes decisions based off of their love for Christ and not their love for themselves. That starts to carry weight. You can't. Kids are smart. You can't fake them out. Don't try getting up at like 5 in the morning doing the fake Bible reading plan, right? So you're like putting it on. Let's go Proverbs. That's a good one. Then you're running around doing stuff and you hear them coming down the stairs and you quick scurry over and you're like, Oh, good morning! Yes, just finishing up my time in the Word. Kids are way too smart for that. But they would know if you're a person who spent time in the Word as God transformed your mind through it. Again, the church has become structured on making kids believe in Jesus. doesn't work. It's been sucking people in to present the gospel. It doesn't work. Why? Because God's plan is this, guys. Like it or not, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. And the reason I wanted to talk about this for a week is because we have a mission. We have a proclamation as Jonah did. And we'll be right back to Jonah next week. And next week's sermon is a goodie. It's a goodie. We must... Go out like God calls us to go out and proclaim what he calls us to proclaim because we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So here's what I'd like you to do this week. Here's what I'm going to do this week. Make sure you're spending time in God's word. I don't care if it's two minutes, okay? If you're going to start start running, you usually don't start with 12 miles off the get-go, do you? You, go, you buy the clothes, you buy the shoes, you try to run an hour and a half, and you come home, and the next day you're kind of like, yeah, this ain't working, I can't move, and I think I'll throw up if I step out of bed. Start slow. Walk. Pick it up. They have Bible reading plans, or you want to make the easiest way? Start with Matthew. Just read a chapter. Don't rush it. Just read it. Pray, Father... I want to be a person who loves your word as you desire for me too. I want to discover the wonderful things of your word. Please speak to me through your word. Matthew 1, boom. Now, I'm not saying you're going to have some sort of revelatory experience with the angels surrounding your table going, no. Just read a chapter. Try to memorize a verse. You need that, that Route 119 thing again? I'll get it to you. Actually, I think it's online, isn't it? It's on the website. You can pick one of the other uh, 138,000 verses in the Bible if you like, or you can start with God is love, or Jesus wept. Those are two easy ones, and when you chew on those for a bit, it starts to reveal to you the past grace, the present grace, and the future grace. And then just chew on that throughout the day. Pray as you go through the day. Think about the people you come across who don't know Jesus. Father God, I pray you would give me the opportunity to let them know of your incredible love for them, and that you would prepare their heart to receive that good news. Not only does God work through prayer, it keeps us focused. Another way God works through prayer. 
and then understand the privilege we've been called to. It's not God saying, you fools, now look what you got to do. It's God saying, look at what I allow you. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. There is nothing more wonderful that you will ever experience in your life than first walking in obedience to God. Sharing the good news of salvation and then seeing a person and it will be the last person you expected and quite frankly folks it may be the one person you've invited to church the most numerous times that just says no, 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 no. They may even live in your house. But when you see that person's eyes open up to the truth in a miraculous way oh man. Little by little you get more and more fired up. But let's just start with this. What are you? What's your vocation? You are a child of God, and as a result, you are a priest. You are different. Now we have to go out and live it. The problem I have with this sermon is it's got too many loose ends. It's got no practical steps on it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to close with prayer. I'm going to ask God to do something with it. Then we're going to take communion as a church family. And as we do, let's spend some time here focusing on the past, the present, and the future grace. The past grace of what Christ has done for us on the cross. The present grace of what that has made us. Of who cares for us perfectly. Of who will never leave us nor forsake us. And of what we have been made into right this very moment. And the future grace of where we're going. Of why Jesus died on that cross. So that none might be lost but all could be saved. And think of the awesome privilege that we have to be able to go out into a lost world and tell them, and live and represent to them who God is, what He has done for them, and how much He loves them. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray today that you would, you would take something out of my mouth and plant it deeply in each and every one of our hearts. I pray that there would be a, a seed of understanding of grace that would grow immensely. I pray that you would communicate to all of us far more clearly than my lips could possibly of what is so awesome and inexpressibly wonderful of the gift you have given to us through the work of Christ and why being a priesthood and a holy nation is something that should cause us to rejoice in ways we can't even fully fathom right now. And that we would be viewed on being a successful people, not on the results that we can make or manipulate, but rather simply finding success in daily obedience to you. Trusting that you will do a mighty work in and through us as we walk in obedience, but not determining our success that way. God, I pray that you would help all of us as we leave here today to go out into the world with an intentionality with an intentionality to bring you to them and allow you to bring them to yourself through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. God, help us see people as you see them. Yes, God, help us realize that we, we not only can be, we're not giving up joy, we're receiving true joy. That we're not to go through life as miserable, depressed, joyless people. We're actually to show people where the real party's at. And we invite them to the party because you told us to go and let them know they're invited. God, please give us a desire to store up your word in our heart. Please prepare our hearts to receive it. Please quiet our minds from the busyness of the world, which makes us feel at times like we're getting off a merry-go-round that won't stop spinning, to just slow down and be still and know that you are God, that it's not our job to keep the universe spinning. That's yours. 
Ours is to walk in obedience. God, I thank you so much that you chose the Israelites, that you brought them out of Egypt the way you did. I thank you for the the miracles that you did in Egypt. I thank you for bringing them through the, the waters of the sea and providing for them daily. I thank you for your grace with them and forgiveness as they constantly grumbled and complained before you. And I thank you for the fact that you have given us uh, those historical events to help us live our lives in this wilderness before eternity. And God, I just pray that I will first, I praise you for the fact that you brought us out of our captivity. And I just pray that you would make that more real and clear to us. It wouldn't be a concept it will be the most real and clear thing we could ever comprehend. That we would be a people who truly knew and loved you. As we come before your table today as a church family, we thank you so much for what you have done. For the, the Seder we partake in today. The Seder of celebrating Christ's work on the cross. The, the, the Seder of celebrating the, last, the ultimate Last Supper, which Jesus partook in right before he died and represented through his work, and we rejoice in day by day. Father, as we drink of the cup, I pray we would be strengthened and nourished and reminded of the blood that was poured out for us, for the forgiveness of sins. And as we partake of the bread, we would be reminded of what you gave up through giving the very own life of your only begotten Son, being nailed to a cross for us, and that we would understand that God The only thing you call us to give up is junk so we can have joy. And we thank you so much, God, that you have made that possible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to come forward.